When it comes to your profile, you have to remember it's your profile. Yes, you've worked for a whole list of companies, but in your experience section, in your description box, you do not need to put the company biography in there. I want to read about you. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi, Max. Thank you for having me. How's your summer so far? We've already had some vacation. There's more to come. So we've started. It's good. We're off to a great start. Great. That's good to hear. And you are obviously a LinkedIn expert and I'm a career coach myself. And although some people may be going on vacation, want to take a break from the job search, some may be wanting to go on the job search right now in the summer, especially if they unfortunately got laid off. So I thought like there's no better time than the present than to have you on to discuss LinkedIn strategies for people in a career transition. So before we dive into your expertise in regards to how to utilize the LinkedIn platform properly for your job search. Why don't you tell a little bit about my audience, how you were able to get this expertise and what do you currently do in your profession? So I do LinkedIn support. I have my own private company and then I also do freelance work with other career transition companies. And so I do webinars on LinkedIn. I work one-on-one with people on LinkedIn and the focus is mainly to really create a very strong LinkedIn profile. That's really the first thing that you need to do when, well, whether you're going through a career transition or not, you need to have a very strong profile. And then we can get into the other things like leveraging the platform and starting to get visible. But really your main focus needs to be having a super strong profile. And so that's what I will work with people on building that profile, or sometimes they attend my webinars. And then, you know, we go through the whole process of building, leveraging and talking about visibility. So from you doing these webinars and working with various professionals, what are some of the common mistakes or misconceptions people have with LinkedIn? So mistakes, like I said, you've got to start with a strong profile. And I think a lot of people just, they just throw it up there and they're not strategic about it. That's the word that I like to use. You need to be super strategic because LinkedIn is a search engine. It is just like Google. And of course, search engines run on keywords. So when you're building your profile, you need to be really thinking about all those keywords that it for, you know, that define your skills and your brand and your expertise and your experience. And you've got to put them in your profile because that's going to help you rank higher in search results. That's going to help you show up in search results. So you need to be super strategic when you're doing it. And a lot of people, they don't think that way. So that would be my one thing is be super strategic and think of LinkedIn as a search engine. Okay. So let's say, for example, a common one would be they currently got a laid off. So they're in a career transition and they haven't touched their LinkedIn profile for a few years. So how would you help them in terms of approach how to revise their LinkedIn profile? Because as you already said, you need a very strong profile for LinkedIn to actually help you. Yeah. So there are actually four key sections that you need to focus on. So I say focus on your headline, focus on your about, your experience and your skills. Those are the four sections that really drive the algorithm. And so then you're going to put those keywords in those sections, you know, to drive the algorithm. And so 
And the headline really is one of the most important things because it's the first thing that people see, right? It sits right at the top of your introduction section. And so you really need to be clear about who you are and what you bring to the table. That section defaults typically to your title and your company. Whereas you actually have 220 characters in this section that you can that you can build out. You can build out a title or a couple of titles. You can be aspirational in this section. Then you can add some of the skills you know, that you have. And then you can also mention what industry that you're in. And so again, you're peppering this section full of keywords so that people know who you are. They're, they get interested right away, but then you also rank more highly in search results. And if they got laid off and they're not currently working, obviously they can't use their existing job title at a company. Would you just put in your most recent job title there in the headline? Yeah, exactly. So if you were you know, a claims and disability expert or a, you know, a vice president pharmaceutical sales, but you can put a couple of titles in there because people aren't necessarily, it's not that they can only do one job, right? So you can kind of build it out a little with a couple of job titles. Job titles are important and you want to use generally accepted job titles, right? Like I know some banks, for example, they will, there was one person I was working with and his title was business associate two. (laughs) <laughs> and he actually oversaw a $4 billion, with a B, $4 billion budget, and his title was business associate too. And I just thought, like, that's terrible. No one is ever searching for business associate, right? In reality, his job title in another organization could have been something like vice president risk management, So then, so that's the other thing you have to think about, you know, when we're talking about keywords, what are the keywords relevant to your industry, to your job title, not necessarily where you have been, right, but where you want to go, you have to think about the words that people will use to find you. And so you have to kind of get out of your head a little bit, right? Like if your title is business associate too, that's not what you're putting in your headline, you are going to put vice president risk management, because that's really the job title that people will know and understand. And so then the other question I get a lot of is, well, where do I find these keywords? How do I come up with those keywords? And so you've got to look at job postings, because that's where all of this originates, right? You're looking at the job postings, you're seeing what are the skills required? What are my roles and responsibilities? And those now become the words that you start putting in your profile. They're the words that you start using when you're interviewing, right? Because these are the words that are now common to your job, common to your industry. And they're the words that the people that are hiring you are going to use. So you need to start really change your whole perspective, get out of your head and start looking more holistically, right, about your job and your industry. In terms of like keywords in the job, I tend to tell people to go into the qualification requirements section of job ask because that's where a lot of the keywords are. For example, like five plus years experience in XYZ. Yeah. Is that where you would lead your clients in terms of finding the right keywords to put on their profile? Yeah, absolutely. There's no secret. There's no magic. There's no mystery. It is, you know, if you go to a job description, all the answers are going to be there. <laughs> so you don't have to guess and you don't have to like stress about it. 
So start, yeah, looking at job postings. When you start talking to people, pay attention to the words that they use, right? Look at other people's profiles, your colleagues that are similar to you. What words do they use in their profile? And this is going to really open up the doors to your mind in terms of the possibilities and opportunities. Going back to the client you work with, where his title was business associate too, like it's not really an argument. It's just the fact that they don't want to lie on their LinkedIn or resume. Where like, yes, I'm a business associate too, but I've done vice president and stuff. But you wouldn't put vice president where you worked there because you were a business associate too. So again, there, there's probably some people don't want to like get in trouble by doing that. So like, what is your suggestion when it comes to having a job title that doesn't align with what you actually do at the job? So the example that I use that you you could put in the headline, right? Vice President Risk Management. When it comes to your experience, you do want to be careful, you know, because you are now associating yourself with that company. And so if that company doesn't use vice president titles or for whatever reason, you want to be very careful. So then you would still have to put business associate two under your experience. But then in your description, you are going to make sure that you say that you were focused on risk management. So that's one of those keys, right? Risk management, you're going to talk about that $4 billion budget that you oversaw, and you're going to make sure that you include all that in your description. The experience section is so important. A lot of people will just put their title and their company and their dates and they don't put anything else. And it's super, super important to include in that description box your roles and responsibilities because that's the opportunity for somebody, a hiring manager, a recruiter, a colleague like you or I, to really figure out exactly what they did. And to rely on your title is not, it doesn't paint a very clear picture. So, The other thing to keep in mind when you're building your profile is to really be, to really complete each section in detail. So it's not a throwaway section, right? So in your experience, you are going to spend the time, you are going to complete that description box to include the, your scope and your scale and your roles and your responsibilities. And you're going to write out an about section that's got four or five small paragraphs that talk about your career story, right? You don't leave anything to chance. Because people are not mind readers, they're going to spend a couple of seconds on your profile. And so you need to be very clear. If they're only going to look at your about, or if if they're only going to look at your about section, make sure that you've got your key points across. If they're only looking at your experience, make sure you've got, you've covered all the roles and responsibilities. If they're only looking at your headline, make sure they know exactly who you are. And for the about section, a common thing that a lot of people do is like a quick paragraph. Some even still do in third person. I'm not sure what your opinion is on that. So how would you tell like a good story in an about section compared to resume? Usually a resume, they have like a a summary, like executive summary or... Yes, professional summary. Yeah, yeah, professional summary where like a quick paragraph in terms of what they do. Obviously on LinkedIn, on your about section, you have a lot more characters to play with. So what's the difference between a summary and a resume and an about section on LinkedIn? And how do you make the about section stand out when they do view your profile? One way to do it is to start with that professional summary. You can put that paragraph into your about section, but you're not going to leave it there. You're going to break it up into multiple paragraphs. You're going to turn it into first person, right? I think we agree on this. But you have to remember that in your about section, there's only four lines that show up before you get that dot see more. And so in those four lines, this is where you talk about 
exactly who you are. So you are a global biotechnology executive specializing in the area of, you know, autoimmune diseases, right? And then you can also get into, you know, you have experience in budgeting and mergers and P&L and all that kind of stuff. And then you can, you know, include your industry, you can include scope and scale. So you're talking about globally or nationally or in this list of companies. So that first paragraph comes out super strong, right? Because that's the only thing that they'll see unless they click that dot see more. Then now you're going to move into your next paragraph. Again, no more than four lines, no more than four lines long. So the next paragraph, then you're going into a little bit more detail, maybe provide some specific examples from your resume to back it up. Maybe that could be second and third paragraph. And then specific, like if you're going to be kind of pursuing a leadership role, you want to talk about what kind of a leader you are right? A collaborative, a visionary, whatever kind of leadership style you have and how you bring teams together. So I look at usually four or five short paragraphs. And but really, it a lot of it comes from your resume. And a good place to start, like you said, is that professional summary, breaking it up into paragraphs and then providing more detail. Speaking of, you're going to be leveraging a lot from your resume. Yeah. In the work experience section, like you said, people will just leave it blank. They have what company they work at, their job title, and then the duration, but they leave it blank. When professionals talk to me, I always suggest if you don't have a lot of time to improve your work experience section, just take the bullet points from your resume and then plug it into the LinkedIn profile. Would you say the same for your clients or is there a different way to create and write about your work experience in those roles on LinkedIn compared to your resume? So I actually say that your LinkedIn experience section should mirror your resume. And so, you know, when you're building out your resume, typically you start with that paragraph, right? You know, an introductory paragraph reported to or accountable or, you know, and then you have multiple bullet points that talk about your achievements. So that whole thing can be moved over into your experience section. You do want to be careful to remove any kind of confidential information. So going back to that business associate, if that $4 billion budget was confidential, right, proprietary information, then he'd have to find other ways to phrase it. Or, you know, instead of saying, you know, generated 100,000 incremental revenue, it could be doubled the revenue or grew revenue by 50% or something like that, right? You can use percentages. If you're not comfortable with including your accomplishments, then at minimum, you are including that one paragraph, that's talking about your scope and scale. So when I work with people, I make sure that they have their resume already done because that's going to save you so much work. You've already done all the heavy lifting, building your resume. And then when you get to your experience section, it's pretty much copy paste. And then just with a few edits. You make a good point in terms of confidentiality of certain pieces of information. For example, like you landed a $2 million deal, or you save $50,000 in costs, like those could be confidential financial numbers that yeah. you shouldn't publicize. Maybe resume is different because it's a bit more private, but like you shouldn't really publicize that type of information. So if they don't really know, you would tell them to err the side of caution where like, if these are financial numbers, it's best to maybe like turn to a percentage or say in a different way that doesn't tell them the exact number. Yes, absolutely. And if you're not sure then just take it out. You want to be very, very careful. The resume is, like you said, it's shared. You share it with specific people. You are not posting it on your LinkedIn. Please do not put your resume on LinkedIn. 
because it has personal information, right? It's got, it could have your phone number, your address, like, please do not put it on your LinkedIn profile. That is to be shared specifically with people that you, where you are applying for jobs. And so the conversations and the information is totally different. LinkedIn, you have to remember that it's public. People can search any one of us and the information will show up. If you're logged into LinkedIn, our profiles, all that information is visible to everybody and we don't have to be connected. So you need to be very, very careful with the information that you're putting up there. In your intro section, there's a couple of blue words that say contact info. And I have clicked on there and people's birth dates, their phone numbers, their addresses have been there. And so I make sure to remove all of that kind of personal information. It was funny because I was working with an executive and he said, oh, that's why I get strangers calling me all the time. I'm like, yes, take your phone number off LinkedIn. Go back to what you said about the not putting your resume on your LinkedIn profile. I, I don't think I see as much as I used to when I first started, like building yeah. my personal brand on LinkedIn. But like every so often, I'll see a profile where in the feature section, they'll actually have like the PDF of the resume there. And obviously, we already discussed why you shouldn't. But why do you think people do that? Well, I think they do it because they're not thinking about the confidentiality portion of it. Some recruiters say that they like to have it on there. And so... Certainly when you're going through a career transition, it's a stressful experience and you are going to do like if somebody says, oh, put your resume up, they're going to do it. Right. If somebody says, reach out to this person, you're going to do it. If somebody, you know, you are just you're very reactionary and maybe not as thoughtful. So that's why I think you see some resumes. But I agree with you. I haven't seen it. I see it very rarely. And but funny enough, I was on a webinar with a recruiter a couple of weeks ago, and she said, you know, she likes people to put their resumes up. And I just thought, you know what, I think it just makes it easier for recruiters when you do that. But it's not necessarily good for you. It's good for the recruiter, but it's not good for you. And so when it comes to your profile, you have to remember it's your profile. Yes, you've worked for a whole list of companies, but you don't need to be promoting those companies. Like in your experience section, in your description box, you do not need to put the company biography in there because I can click on the logo and I can go to that company and I can read all about the company. I want to read about you and what you've done in your role and all of your achievements and accomplishments. And the same thing in your, you know, your headline. You are not the vice president at XYZ company. You are a vice president of pharmaceutical sales or you're a claims and disability expert or whatever your title is. You are not defined by the companies that you've worked for. You don't need to put X meta. I'm seeing that a lot. X meta in their headline, right? I can see all the companies that you've worked for in your experience section, you know, and you can talk about it in your about, but you have no obligation to support or to promote the companies that you've worked for. This is your profile. What you need to focus on is promoting yourself. You make a very good point about the X. This is more like in tech, right? Like X yeah. Meta, X Google, X Microsoft. I think like they do it because when people see their headline right away, it makes it easier than them going through their experience. But like you said it's not necessary. But again, have you seen that actually work with people or you think it's just an unnecessary use of words on the headline? 
I think it's a waste of your headline because like I said, you only get 220 characters. Don't waste it on X meta, right? X Amazon. Don't waste it there. I want you to promote yourself. So what are the skills that you bring? Because people are not searching X meta, right? They're not. They're going to be searching whatever skills and qualifications that you have. And so again, if they did want to look for somebody that had experience at Meta, they can put that, they can do a search as a past company, right? In their search. I can do it. Recruiters can do it. You don't need to pay for an account to find somebody that currently works at Meta or used to work at Meta, right? We can all do that search. I want you to focus more on the skills and expertise that you bring to the table. And speaking of like, X, Meta or X Microsoft, let's say someone got, did get laid off at Microsoft or Meta, which was prevalent recently. Do you recommend using the open the work banner and make it public? I know there's been arguments whether you should add it in or not, but what's your thoughts on that? So for sure, when you're going through a career transition, you want to activate the open to work option. But what people don't understand is that when you activate the open to work, you have two options. You can have that green banner that says open to work and it's visible to everybody on the platform, or you can choose to just let recruiters know. And these are recruiters that are paying, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to LinkedIn to access a dedicated platform called LinkedIn Recruiter. So if you are going through a career transition, 100% you are going to activate the open to work. But what you need to decide on is the green banner or just recruiters. And so this has been a really a hot topic of debate. I would have said prior to November 2022, my recommendation was not to activate the green banner. There was a huge stigma, right? There is a stigma that people have carried that, you know, you feel like you're negotiating from a position of weakness. But in November 2022, I mean, there were massive layoffs, right? Like it totally changed the economy. And suddenly people started to turn the green banner on and then they started to talk about their experiences, right? Like one of the benefits of having the green banner is that people will see it and you can have some people start to proactively reach out to you. So instead of you having to tell your story over and over and reach out to people and have the pressure of starting every conversation, now people would see the green banner and they would reach out and say, oh, I see that you're open to work. Can I introduce you to somebody? Oh, I see that you're open to work. I've heard about an opportunity. Can I facilitate that? Some recruiters not using the LinkedIn recruiter platform would also see that you had activated it. So that stigma, I feel, has really kind of lessened. So it's been several months now that I really feel that that stigma has really gone away just because people have been far more open about it. I think recruiters always liked it just because, again, it made their life easier, right? They always liked it. It was just employees didn't like it. So now if you are kind of on the fence what I would say is, so it comes down to your own level of personal comfort. If you want to try, you know, put yourself out there, see what happens, then I think it's perfectly acceptable. You can always turn it off and then you're just going to let recruiters know. If you are still not sure, then you just, you activate it, but you only make it visible to recruiters only. And then you are still taking advantage of that open to work filter, which is the number one filter used by recruiters on the LinkedIn platform. And that's why I say that you absolutely must activate it. 
I'm being very clear on that. It's just turning the green banner on or recruiters only. The only difference I would say is that if you were like a senior executive, so if you're like VP and up, at that point, I would say that it doesn't necessarily help you because you're looking, first of all, the number of jobs available at that level are less, right? You're going to go about your job search a little bit differently, right? If you're a senior executive. So that green banner may not help you as much as somebody else in a different position. There is still a stigma when it comes to people, well, recruiters prefer to hire people that are already currently employed. So is there any way to level the playing field if you are currently in transition after layoffs to still help you stand out compared to people who are currently working at another job? It's not a bad thing if you're in a career transition. It's not, again, that stigma, you know, that open to work stigma that we used to have months ago. There was a stigma also that when you didn't have a job, right? That stigma, again, just because of what we've gone through, the way that the economy is, it isn't a stigma for you to not have a job now. And so I don't think people should be carrying that around, like get that off of your shoulders. There is no stigma. And so don't worry about not having a current job. When I say that I want you to mirror your resume, you've ended your role on your resume, right? Like you're not passing out resumes that say that you're currently employed. You're absolutely not doing that. So why would you do it on LinkedIn? I say that within about a month of you leaving your company, that is the time to turn to end your role on LinkedIn. If you don't feel that you need to fill that gap and say that you're a consultant or an advisor, don't feel that you need to do that because it could send the wrong message, right? Like I was working actually with somebody this morning and he has, he, you know, created his own company. And now he's saying the principal, he's a principal consultant. And I said to him, I said, are you starting your own business or are you looking for a corporate role? And he said, I want a corporate role. And I said, well, you're going to confuse people because now you've just filled something in as a permanent role and saying, calling yourself a consultant. And they're going to think that you are now an entrepreneur and all you want are consulting roles. So, Don't feel that you need to put in a career break or some kind of filler to have an active role because it it could backfire on you and just cause more confusion. Just be straightforward. You know, this is your experience. These are your skills. This is what you bring to the table. Yeah, which leads me to the next question about employment gaps. So if someone's been out of work for six, seven months, they might start getting some anxiety saying, okay, I've been out of work for a while. So I think I'm going to get less opportunities while I put some like for example, Max Chan Consulting, and then take a couple like side projects so at least have some experience. But you're just saying that that's not actually recommended. It's better to just leave it blank because even if you've been out of work, at least by you not doing that, it shows that you're still looking for your next opportunity compared to if you're saying consulting and then present because then it looks like you decided you start your own business. Yeah, there is absolutely going to be confusion when you do that. There's no doubt about it. The risk is that, you know, a hiring manager or recruiter sees that you are consulting right now and they're like, oh, okay, well, this person isn't, wouldn't be interested in this role that I have available. Best case scenario would be that they look at your experience and they're like, oh, this person has great experience and they're doing consulting. I would love to still talk to them and, you know, see if there's any interest there in moving to a full-time permanent position. But that's a bit of a risk, right? Like if you make them pause and think, oh my gosh, now this is going to require me to reach out, ask a question, waste my time when I could move on to the next candidate, that is a risk. That's the risk that you're taking. 
But I mean, if you are kind of doing a side gig and, you know, maybe it could be something that becomes permanent, then, you know, put it up there. Just understand that you only get one profile. Make sure that you only have one profile on LinkedIn. And so you really need, especially when you're going through a career transition, you need to be super, super clear. So we discussed earlier when it comes to the LinkedIn featured section, how you should not put your resume on there. So what are your suggestions in regards to leveraging that piece of real estate in your LinkedIn profile? And terms of like, what should you add there? Should you add like a portfolio? Should you add like maybe you were featured in the news recently? What are some things that you should add in that section, the featured section to make your profile a standout? Yeah, the feature section is completely underused. A lot of people don't know anything about it and it is fantastic. So if you are actively posting on LinkedIn, you can put some of those key posts into the featured section. It sits in the third position as people are scrolling through. So you have your intro, then people will see your about, and then they will see your featured section. And it's going to be a whole bunch of thumbnails, right? So if it's a post, it'll be the picture from the post. You can add, like you said, any articles, any kind of media. So if you've spoken and it's been recorded and it's on YouTube somewhere, if you've been quoted in an article, if you've spoken on a podcast, I will definitely be putting this podcast on the featured section of my LinkedIn profile, anything like this. And the purpose of the featured section is really to to raise your visibility and to become seen as a subject matter expert. So if they can see you, if they can read something about you, then you get instant credibility. And I've been working with a lot of people lately, and I'm so excited when we get to do the featured section because they are so excited to celebrate all of these fantastic pieces of media that they have, articles, YouTube videos. Now remember, it's got to be about you, right? It's <laughs> again, it's about you, not your company or anything like that. So articles and video and any kind of media, white papers, projects, portfolios, anything like that. Like I said, long form articles on LinkedIn or posts from LinkedIn. If you don't have anything else, but you're active on the platform and you're posting, those kind of things can go in there and think about it as an opportunity to raise your visibility and become seen as a subject matter expert. So we've talked about three of the four main sections of your LinkedIn profile. We talked about the headline, the about section, and the work experience. Now we go to the last section that's most important is the skills section. So how can people utilize the skills section appropriately? Like finding the right keywords to put in there? Does getting people to endorse your skills help you improve your search results? So what would be the strategy there in the skills section? So the skills section is a gold mine for the LinkedIn search engine. Remember, right at the very beginning, we were talking about how LinkedIn is a search engine that runs on keywords. The skills section is full of keywords. It's a maximum of 50. And so this is where you are going to throw every single keyword and any combination of keywords that you can think of. And again, you're going to look at job descriptions. You're going to look at other people's profiles to get ideas and put them in there. One of the key things with skills is that you want them to be an exact match. So when a recruiter or anybody searches for strategic, say they're doing strategic communications. If you have strategic planning, that's not an exact match. So, you know, when you say 50, people are like, oh my gosh, I'm never gonna be able to get to 50. But when you start doing those combinations, right? Strategic communications, strategic planning, they have to be relevant, obviously, but that's going to help you show up. And then what you're going to do when you get as close to 50 as you can, 
then you are going to prioritize the top three, just the top three. Okay, take the steps here. In the skill section, there's three dots. You're going to click them and they and then says reorder and you're going to drag and drop the top three most relevant. They have to be so they're going to reflect. There should be no surprises, right? When we get to this section, because we've talked about your headline and you're about and your experience. And so when you get to skills, then those top three should be the one people are like, oh, yeah, absolutely. That makes the most sense, right? It shouldn't be something where people go, what? That makes no sense at all. So a lot of people are afraid to prioritize their skills because say they have like 10 endorsements for analytics or something like that, right? And they're like, yeah, but I, and the thing is LinkedIn, if you don't rank them, LinkedIn will rank your skills based on your endorse endorsements. And again, this is LinkedIn taking control. This is, you are allowing somebody else to take control of your profile. You need to let that go. If analytics is not a top three, then you need to either remove it from your profile because it's not relevant anymore. And it doesn't matter that you have 10 endorsements because it's not relevant. That keyword is not relevant anymore. And if analytics isn't your top three, then just move it down. Don't be afraid to make all these changes because at the end of the day, you have to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward. You are you know, building the strongest profile that you can. If the analytics sits in the 10th position and it's hidden and nobody sees it, it doesn't matter because it's still in the background feeding the algorithm. Endorsements aren't as big a deal as they used to be. They used to be very important. In fact, I could have, you know, once we were connected, Max, I could have gone onto your profile and I could have put a road warrior on your profile, right? I could have said, oh, Max is a road warrior. And you would have been like, what? Who? Like, I don't even know who you are and why are you saying that I'm a road warrior, which is a real skill, by the way. So LinkedIn has stopped that practice. People can only endorse you for the skills that you have put on your profile. They cannot add skills to your profile, which I think is much better. And of course, I could go in and endorse you for whatever you want. So what's the value to an endorsement? The section used to be called skills and endorsements. Now it's just called skills, which tells you that the endorsement piece of that section has really lost a lot of its importance. If you feel though that you really want to be well represented in your skills, then once you've set that list, reach out to some of your connections and ask them to endorse you. So say, can you please go and endorse me for one of my top three skills? That's it. Then they will endorse you. You will have your endorsements and you'll feel better, even though it's not that big a deal anymore. Okay. Yeah. So when someone like, let's say someone has like five skills and they want to populate the 50. Now they're worried about, I got to reach out to all my colleagues or former coworkers to see if they can endorse all my skills to help optimize. But you said that's not really necessary. It's more about the actual word now. Correct. Yeah, that is it. Focus on those keywords. That's the most important thing. Focus on your profile first. You've got to build a strong profile. And then at the end, if you're like, okay, I've done it. I'm super happy with it. I've completed every possible section I could. Now I'm going to reach out to people. Now I'm going to start asking for endorsements. Now maybe I'll ask for recommendations, which are a nice to have. They're not a need to have section. You want to focus on those need to have. We talked about your the headline, your about, your experience, your skills, those are the ones that drive the algorithm, okay? You really nail those sections and then you start doing all the other stuff. So we touched briefly upon like posting, reaching out to people. So again, like the main goal 
the first thing you should do on LinkedIn is to have a strong, robust profile, as we initially discussed. But in terms of truly leveraging the platform, you have to be more proactive with it, which goes back to posting content and networking and reaching out to people. So how do people do this properly to build up their network and help them achieve their career goals? <laughs> so that was like a, just a very tiny, easy question. No, that's a... <laughs> That's like a ginormous question. 85% of jobs are landed through networking. And so LinkedIn is a professional networking platform. The first thing that you do is you've got to build that strong profile, but that is not where you end. The most impactful thing is to start leveraging the platform. And so you do that by building your connections, minimum 300 to 500 And then you start getting active on the platform, which is what you said, posting. If you're not ready to start posting, then get into your newsfeed and you're commenting, you're sharing, you're reposting, right? Because that is a way to raise your visibility. It's a great way to build relationships. The biggest challenge that I hear people today is they don't know what to say, right? So there's the cold outreach, right? You're searching for somebody you find a colleague with a similar title in a company that you're interested in. How do you reach out? Like, what do you say in your outreach message? That is the biggest roadblock that people are facing right now. And so my advice is to always go to the person's profile. So the person that you want to connect with, you're going to go to their profile. You're spending 60 seconds on their profile. You're going through, you're looking at their headline. You're reading their about section. You're going through their experience. Look at their education. Did you work at the same company? Did you study the same thing? Did you go to the same school? Do you have similar skills or similar experiences? There will be something you have in common with that person, or there will be something that you are curious or interested about that person based on what you're looking at. And so that's what you're going to use in your outreach message, right? I see that you are this, or we went to the same this, or even leveraging your existing connections. As a second degree connection, you're gonna have people in common, right? So we are both connected to, right? And I've worked with this person, and you know, leverage the fact that you have somebody in common. It's all about finding that commonality. There is no one, again, you know, we talked about magic and easy, like there's no magic. You have to put the work in that honestly, you're not gonna love my answer. But you do have to put the work in. You have to look at their profile. ChatGPT is another fantastic resource that I recommend right now. I've gone into ChatGPT and then pull the person, say it's a recruiter. So you pull the recruiter's about section. And then you're also going to copy your about section. And in ChatGPT, you can say, write a 300 character connection request looking at similarities between these two, you know, this about section and this about section. And we're talking 300 characters. I don't know, that's 25 words or something like that. It's not a lot, but ChatGPT will find those similarities. And it's not going to be the final done product, right? But it gets you past the anxiety of the blank page. What do you say? right? And it gets you working that kind of muscle to start looking for similarities or try other combinations, right? A 300 character introduction based on this about section, right? And they'll pull out the key points of this about section just to try and get your brain around how to do that. But there are other ways other than cold outreach, right? Because that scares the heck out of people. And I totally understand. There's other ways on LinkedIn that you can try and connect with people that may feel a little bit more comfortable. Some of them is groups. 
So if you can find a group on LinkedIn, a group of people in your industry with your job title, with your credentials, imagine 60,000 people in a group that have the same credentials as you. Don't you think you'll be far more comfortable reaching out to people, connecting with people that way? Look at the opportunity for networking or collaborating or coaching or anything like that through groups. So that's, again, the word we come back to is commonality. You're getting into a group that you have something in common with. Getting active on the platform, reading people's posts, right? If you find a post that's really interesting, then you should comment on it and then follow up with a connection request. You are now telling somebody that you are interested in what they have to say, you found it relevant, and you would love to connect with them because you probably have something in common with them. You have the same interests, the same qualifications. Why don't you, you know, get together and share best practices or something like that? But building that foundation first, then that avoids the whole cold outreach, which just freezes people and prevents them from moving forward. Just to get off topic a little bit about LinkedIn, where do you see the job search market, whether it's Canada or US, for the rest of the year? Because we're technically like halfway through 2023. So for people who are in transition or they're looking for another opportunity, where do you see the job market heading as we go into the second half of 2023? Do you mean, do I see it getting better or getting worse? Yeah, or worse, like depending on what you've seen right now, like what's your prediction in terms of, is it going to get stronger as we enter the fall months or where do you see the job market heading? So typically the summer is quiet, right? There's not a lot of movement in the summer, not a lot of layoffs, not a lot of hires. This summer, I have heard that it is going to be very active. There is going to be quite a bit of activity this summer. So I would recommend that people don't take a break over the summer. Of course, you need to recharge your batteries, but don't take the entire summer off, which I think a lot of people tend to do if they're in a career transition. There's going to be still some turbulation over the next couple of months, but that also leads to opportunities. So I would stay focused over the summer. And I want to uh, end our conversation today with this question for you. So the reason we're talking right now is that we're both listed as the top 15 LinkedIn experts in Toronto, according to, I think, Influence Digest. I think that's what the magazine of publication is. So with that being said, how has LinkedIn changed your life, whether it's career or personal? Well, first of all, the fact that we were found on LinkedIn, I think proves that it works. So I've had some people reach out to me and they're like, oh, are you affiliated with Influence Digest? Or did you apply? Or did you know somebody there? And Max, you and I know we had nothing to do with Influence Digest. The fact that we came up in their search proves that LinkedIn works. So we hit all of those keywords, right, that they were looking for and appeared in their search. And that was the one thing that stood out to me. That's what I said, like LinkedIn works. This proves that LinkedIn works. And you know, I work with so many people and I don't necessarily, sometimes they'll come back to me and they'll say, oh, the changes that we've made. I had a recruiter from this big recruiting company that I've been trying to get in touch with. They finally reached out to me after I 
worked with you after we made those changes. And so sometimes I get that feedback and then I'm like, okay, it works, it works. (laughs) But I don't always get that feedback. But having the notification, having that top 15 ranking, I was like, yeah, it works. And for someone who wants to get to that level with their LinkedIn, how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? So I have a website, jennifersacco.com. If you go to the website, I also have a lot of what I've talked about, I've put together into an information handout. I've got eight essential elements of a powerful LinkedIn profile. And then I also have four best practices to maximize the benefits of LinkedIn. So if you go to jennifersacco.com, you can sign up for this to get this information and all my contact information is there. Sounds great. Again, I appreciate the time, Jennifer, and enjoy the rest of your summer. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Oh,